Hello and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Aaron. I'm Kate. And we will be learning about national anthems. Each week we will choose a new country at random. We will learn a little bit about this country and then we will listen to their anthem. After listening, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up in our humble opinion. Now, we don't want you to think because of the title that we're huge fans of O Canada. In fact, we plan to dunk on it pretty much constantly throughout the show, and we do not expect it to finish highly in the rankings at all. So this is a bit of a special episode, and that is because it's going to be our first two-parter episode. Two parts, yay! Those of you who listened to our Vatican City episode may have heard the absolute dread in my voice (laughs) upon drawing Palestine as a country. Um, I didn't know a lot about the history of Palestine going into this week, other than that it was an incredibly contentious issue, and that there was a lot of sort of complicated relations with Israel uh, is sort of the main thrust of what I knew about Palestine going into this. Yeah, I remember saying to you that I feel that like I've been trying to follow this whole thing for so many years. And every time I sit down to be like, okay, today I'm going to figure out what this relationship is. And I just get lost in a mire of news articles and different opinions. Every news "Ah." article you read about it just goes, this conflict is way too fucking complicated for any person to understand. On top of which your Instagram feed is full of people of both opinions. Yeah. And And like like, people, you know, yeah. (laughs) And so I don't really have an opinion. Yeah. And I feel bad about that. Yeah. On the regular. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, at the end of this episode, you still won't. Cool. Because this episode is going to cover up to World War One, which is, it was after World War One that we started splitting stuff into Israel and Palestine and, like, separate okay. things. And that is not to say that there was necessarily a country of Palestine before that, mm-hmm. but there was a region that has... A region that has existed historically, like people have looked at this area and its sort of borders and called it this region. Mm -hmm. And at many points throughout history, that region was called Palestine. Okay. So this episode is going to be the history of the region of Palestine up until World War I. No anthems. We are going to talk about the anthems next episode when we get into the history of the the state of Palestine. Um which would start to exist in some form or another after World War One. Honestly, I'm so excited to learn this stuff. I'm really, this is going to, yeah. It's wild. I'm going to come out smarter than I went in. This episode is going to serve too as, I think, useful background for our eventual Israel episode. Mm. Uh, since we are talking only about the historical region, a lot of this history applies to both nations. That'll make in, it easier in a certain down the road. Sense. Yeah. yeah. So... And it, it's not going to make it any less complicated. Don't don't <laughs> no, think that for a second. But shorter, maybe. But uh, yeah, we will uh, we will get into this a little bit. So now let's get into the actual sort of meat of the episode. So a lot of this history section is just going to be untangling the very idea of what Palestine is and what the history of Palestine is. 
that being said, I don't think I'm saying anything particularly controversial this week. Okay. Save that for next week? Yeah. yeah. I, I might be wrong. Uh, maybe I'm saying a lot of things that are going to piss a lot of people off, but I don't know. But I'm pretty sure most of the contentious stuff happened post-World War One. Okay. Which is why this episode is going to cover roughly 9,000 years, and the next episode is going to cover 100. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> Let's get ready. 9,000 years. So... There have been people living in this region all the way back to the Paleolithic era. Mm. Like, this is one of the places that we have just an unbelievably long stretch of unbroken human occupation of this region. And let's define the region first. So it's it's a stretch of land between Egypt and Jordan to the south, to Lebanon and Syria in the north, mm-hmm. from the Mediterranean Sea on the west, to the west bank of the Jordan River okay. on the east. I have to say, you're saying this, and I'm having like Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe flashbacks. You know, where they're they're like all the lands from this to this, yeah. like one of those so, moments. Anyway, so yeah. what's important to know here is that it borders on Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, the Jordan River, and the Mediterranean Sea. That's a lot of stuff in that area. And it's not that big of a region, really. No, that's true. So human settlement in Palestine can be traced back to the Paleolithic era, where there's evidence that has been found that shows the inhabitants of the region at the time were the same Neanderthal group of, like, similarly dated European residents. Hmm. So at this point in the Paleolithic era, the sort of genome, at least, of the people in Palestine is the same as that of the people in Europe. Okay. Um... Through the Mesolithic period, the region was inhabited mainly by what were known as the Natufian people. Now, they lived in caves like the Neanderthals before them. The Natufian people, though, had developed tools for collecting grain. Mm. It is believed that they, though they had tools for collecting grain, they weren't farming grain. They were just sort of okay. going out and Still, collecting though, it. But yeah, that's that's a step in, in the direction towards agriculture. Gives you an advantage? Um. Yeah, the the sickles that have been discovered from this period, it's actually really cool because they they did detailed artistic carvings on the handles of them. So they weren't only developing tools, they were decorating tools, which is kind of cool. That is cool. I feel like this whole thing, even so far, is just like an archaeologist's dream. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's such an unbelievable amount of history here. It's, It's ridiculous. Um, so I will post a picture in the show notes of uh, one of these carved handles. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, the photo I'm going to link is like a replica made from a cast. Sure. But, you know, it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, towns were being built in Palestine as early as the Neolithic period, with the town of Jericho having been constructed, like in our most conservative estimates, the town of Jericho has been continuously occupied since 7000 BCE. Wow. Other estimates will bring it back as far as 9,000 BCE. And we're talking about a town with crop cultivation, pottery production, animal husbandry. Like, this is a town that has existed. Here's the cool thing. That's amazing, yeah. Is I was, look, because, you know, 10 years is a decade, 10 decades is a century, 10 centuries is a millennia. And I had just learned that the town of Jericho has maybe existed for more than 10 millennia. Mm. And I went to see if there was a word for that. I was going to make a silly joke about it being around for 1.1 giga years. 
And I found out that that's actually the word some oh. scientists are pushing for. <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, the, the town of Jericho has been around anywhere from 0.9 to 1.1 giga years. Okay. Giga years. That's which fun is to say, though. Pretty amazing. Mm. So in roughly four to 5,000 BCE, the Gasulian people settled in the region. It's not really known where the Gasulian people came from, but it's in this period that the first evidence of copper working is found. Mm. Uh, it's believed that the copper was likely imported from the Sinai region of Egypt, just, I guess, a place that a lot of copper in that area was being sourced from. Okay. Um, the Gasulian peoples mainly settled in the southern area of Palestine, closer to the border with Egypt. So, uh, several towns in northern Palestine show that this region developed a lot of technologies and customs alongside Egypt during the Bronze Age. So, what Egypt develops passes through to the Palestine region. Okay. They, they will have a very, very close history. All the time throughout the history of Palestine, we'll be checking in with Egypt and, and seeing what's happening over there. Which is kind of useful for us people who don't get a lot of formal education in Palestine, at least. Everybody talks about ancient Egypt. I mean, sort of. Sort they of. talk about the fact that there were pharaohs and pyramids. At, did, did you get an actual chronological timeline of Egypt at any point in your education? Because I don't think I did. Not exactly, but I feel like we talked a lot about maybe technology? I don't know. And the... Like, there were a lot of different periods throughout Egyptian history that get sort of blended together in our education here. We definitely talked about some of the people... Okay, honestly, I think it was mostly about the the hieroglyphics and how that's that's the beginning of... Well, not the beginning of writing, because there's that other thing. But and that rock early what's, writing. What's the rock? I, I don't know what you're talking There's about. There's some rock where they wrote on it. Talking about like, Rosetta Stone? Uh, yeah, I yeah. think so. The one with the, the hieroglyphics yeah. and then also the Yeah, like an early translation dictionary. Yes, and basically. it's the first kind of thing we have. Anyway, we talked about that a lot. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so by roughly twenty three hundred BCE, the walled cities um oh I must have skipped something here. Mm. Uh these cities that were built uh, back in the day had walls, which I guess I didn't write in my notes and just assumed okay. I was going to remember. <laughs> so by roughly 2300 BCE, these walled cities that they had built during the Bronze Age were less inhabited. The The majority of the population had gone into more of a nomadic and pastoral sort of era of their history, and the, the Amorite peoples were taking over the region. Okay. Now, the Amorites had come from Mesopotamia, and probably the most famous Amorite in history is Hammurabi, who invented Hammurabi's Code, the first code of laws in history. I remember that. We talked about that in school. So we will learn a lot more about the Amorites, likely in our episode on Iraq, where the Babylonian Empire was centered. Okay. Uh, So by around 2000 BCE, the urban lifestyle had again become the norm around the region. There were advancements in both pottery and bronze working, and this coincided with the rise of Canaanite culture. And you might recognize Canaanite culture as the first big group that comes up in the Bible that we're going to be talking about today. Because fun fact, pretty much all of at least the Old Testament takes place in what is now Palestine. Right. Um... So we're going to be covering most of the Bible. (laughs) 
Oh, this is, yep. It's, it's wild. <laughs> this has already been such an adventure. And we're not even into like the modern era yet or even anything remotely so, resembling it. Yeah. <laughs> it was during the rise of Canaanite culture that the new kingdom of Egypt would, would also come in and conquer the region. This is around 1500 BCE. Mm. Uh, we'll talk a bit more in the Egypt episode about the difference between the new and old kingdoms. But uh, just suffice to say that it was the new kingdom that conquered Palestine. There Grasp over the area had started to weaken around 1200 BCE, with Ramses II being one of the last pharaohs with like a strong grasp over this section. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of scholarly debate over the actual events that inspired the Exodus story in the Bible, mm-hmm. but this would be the Ramses that is being right. talked about. This is the Ramses that was told, let my people go yeah. and all that shit had the the 10 plagues and all that what's that movie prince of egypt yeah that's it great movie yep great great movie (laughs) so yeah obviously scholars don't agree on you know that the spirit of god came and killed all the firstborns and all that but at some point there was a mass exodus of jewish slaves basically from egypt and that or not even jewish slaves because i don't know that Jewish people really exist yet, but there was a mass exodus of slaves from Egypt and I guess Canaanite slaves. Mm. Um, it's confusing. There's been yeah. a lot of different it's... groups that have already moved through this region. Yeah. So <laughs> either way, the slaves left Egypt okay. and with the Canaanites having been weakened by these centuries of Egyptian occupation, the Israelite peoples moved into the north around 1200 BCE. So around the same time that the Israelites moved into the north, the Philistines settled in the south. So the Philistines can be loosely defined as people of Greek descent that settled on the south coast of Palestine. Okay. So over the next two centuries, there would be more or less constant war between the Canaanites and the Israelites. This is a lot of the Bible. Yeah. Um, The story of Samson, for example, is set during this conflict. A a particular highlight, in my opinion, super strong man gets his strength from his long hair and then his mistress cuts it off while he's sleeping and he gets captured and chained to the temple where his hair grows back and he tears it down with his bare hands. Shit's awesome. Highly recommend checking out the story of Samson. (laughs) But that, again, obviously there's scholarly debate over the veracity of the Samson story, but that story was at the very least inspired by this period of history. Uh, So it was Saul and his successor, David, Mm -hmm. both major biblical characters, that united Israel from a loose confederation of tribes to a single nation and expanded its borders from there. So it was under David's successor, Solomon, that the borders shrank, but the economy would flourish due to alliances with the Phoenician Empire. Mm. And the Phoenician Empire occupied a lot of the coastal region uh, of Palestine at the ask time. I where it was, yeah. The Phoenician Empire are a really unique and interesting thing throughout history, and they're going to come up probably in a number of, like, North African countries in particular that we talk about, because they were an empire that existed basically only on the coast. 
the Phoenician Empire had no interest in moving inland. So they they owned basically a lot of the way around like the south and east coasts on the Mediterranean Sea and did a ton of like ocean trade. That was what made them rich. Mm. So the Phoenicians were just on the coast of Palestine. Okay. Like if you've heard of like ancient Rome and the Carthaginian Wars, yeah. Carthage was the capital of the Phoenician oh, Empire. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Okay, cool. So cool. don't you love when the pieces just like click in? <laughs> However, Carthage was quite far away from like opposite corner of the Mediterranean, basically from where Palestine yes. is. It's not close. Right. Carthage yeah. is in modern day Tunisia. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was during this period, during Solomon's rule, that the, the first temple of Jerusalem is believed to have been built. And the saga of the temple of Jerusalem is an important part of the history of this whole region. Uh, there's going to be a lot of times we come back to that. So none of my sources on Palestine really talked that much about when the Phoenicians got there. And a quick glance at Phoenician history doesn't really mention Palestine at all. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm not really sure when the Phoenicians got there or when they left. Mm. Uh, it, it seems to be kind of a footnote for both Palestinian history and Phoenician history. But they were there at some but point. But they were there at some point. Over the next few centuries, the region contained a number of smaller kingdoms that were intermittently at war with each other. And again, these are names you will recognize from like biblical history. These are the kingdoms of Judah and Damascus, oh. etc. Yeah. Like, I don't know a lot of Bible stuff, but even this, I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard of them. So in a few short years, starting around 740 BCE, Assyrian forces would conquer the entire region, except for the kingdom of Judah, which was left under Israelite rule. So, Judah was very briefly defeated by the Assyrian armies, but essentially an epidemic broke out and forced the Assyrian armies to again withdraw from the region, mm. and Judah managed to stay independent. So as the, Syri or as the Assyrian Empire weakened in strength, the Babylonian Empire began to rise and basically just replaced the Assyrians in the region, moved into that same power vacuum, but they never had the same stable hold on the region that these Assyrians did. Okay. I keep trying to call them the Syrians. It's okay. It's going to happen. Um, it's going to happen. We forgive you. Uh, there is basically near constant resistance to the Babylonian occupation in Palestine, in Syria, and in Egypt. And during those rebellions, the city of Jerusalem was besieged by the Babylonians and ultimately destroyed around 586 B.C., mm. So the region would again be conquered in 539 BCE by Cyrus II of Persia. By the time Cyrus had finished his conquest of Palestine, that acquisition made his empire the largest in the history of the world up to that point. Uh, it, Cyrus, however, restored the kingdom of Judah under the rule of his empire and immediately decreed that the temple of jerusalem should be rebuilt that was nice of him yeah so this is a really important event in jewish history the restoring of the kingdom of judah and yeah. the rebuilding of the kingdom of israel you if you look at the history of the jewish faith mm -hmm. basically from this point onward 
the majority of that history is the history of the tribe of Judah. Okay. They are the the remaining Jewish tribe at this point in history. Okay. So in the late 3rd century BCE, Alexander the Great would conquer the region. (laughs) When Alexander died in 323 BC, control of the region passed to Ptolemy I. Now, Ptolemy and his line are an incredibly important thing for history. Was he friends with Alexander the Great? Did they like... Yeah, yeah. They knew each other, They knew each other. Okay. He was... was, We'll get into that in a second here, but Ptolemy's line would hold Egypt for a really long and important Mm. time. Um, I believe Cleopatra was a Ptolemy. Oh, okay. Oh, (laughs) a long history. Like a a multifaceted history. Also, we haven't really talked about Northern Africa yet, so... Yeah. That's probably contributing a little bit. Yeah. Um, so so they will come up again in our Egypt episode and be very important there. But the Ptolemies didn't have the, the biggest hold over Palestine because basically what would happen is after the passing of Alexander the Great, Syria and Palestine became the backdrop for what are known as the Syrian Wars. But they did also take place in Palestine, just Syria, I think, is the larger country land-wise. Right. Okay. Um, and basically the Syrian wars are a series of succession disputes between the houses of Ptolemy and the house of Seleucid, is I believe how it's pronounced. Okay. Um, they were both close advisors, generals of Alexander the Great, and they both thought they should be the ones left in charge mm. after he died. Um both Syria and Palestine would eventually become part of the House of Seleucid in uh, about 200 BCE is when the Seleucid kingdom took them over. Okay. Now, Seleucid power over the region would really not last for that long. It was weakened by a series of revolts over the next 40 years, and basically control over the region would pass to a series of powerful priests that that held the region for the next century or so after the Seleucid Empire had crumbled. Now, it was in the mid-60s BCE that Romans began to make contact with the area, having just wiped out the last remainders of the Seleucid Empire. Now, much of the dealings with the Palestinian region came from a guy named Pompey the Great, and you may have heard his name before. He was a member of Julius Caesar's first triumvirate. So you would have learned, or at least I learned a little bit in history class about the triumvirates. Uh, Julius Caesar had the first triumvirate, which basically transitioned into his dictatorship over Rome. Right. And then the second triumvirate is the more famous Augustus Caesar one that would transition the Roman Republic into the Roman Empire. Right. Okay. So Pompey was part of the first triumvirate, not the one that turned the Republic into the empire, but the one that transitioned into basically the dictatorship of Julius Caesar. Okay. Um, Pompeii is also the place with the volcano. Pompeii. Yeah. This guy is Pompey. Oh, P O M P E Y. I was making it the same thing in my head. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Pompeii was named after Pompey. Sure. Or, or something along those lines, but yeah, they are, they are not quite the same word. Okay. So the Romans gave greater privileges to the cities in this region that they believed had been Hellenized under Alexander the Great's rule, like basically made more Greek. (laughs) Uh, These cities became known as the Decapolis, like 10 cities, although it seems that 
an 11th was eventually added. They just never bothered changing the name from the Decapolis. <laughs> it's too good. Like, there's this perfect 10. It's too good. We can't change it. <laughs> <laughs> so in 37 BCE, Herod I, or Herod the Great, would be made king of Judea and later all of Rome and Palestine. Uh, other really significant sections we'll be talking about would be like Samaria and Galilee. Again, all words you'll recognize if you've read the Bible. Um, this is the Herod that gets talked about in the Gospel of Matthew. So when you're learning the Jesus story. Yeah, this and, is the and guy. Herod wants to kill all the babies. Yeah. This is Herod. Hi, Herod. How are you? <laughs> so... The the weird thing about Herod and where I got really confused learning about his history is he named like Walder Frey style. He named mm -hmm. many of his children Herod. Oh, no. He had like three or four <laughs> sons named Herod. So at some point I may attribute some of the things that his sons did either to the wrong son or to him. He was asking for it. If you're going to name four of your sons yeah. Herod, that's your own fault, Herod. <laughs> so the, the Christian representation of Herod, this whole idea that he like murdered all of the babies that was in my the impression. region, seems to come from basically he was worried that the number of children he had had was going to cause a succession crisis. Okay. So as far as I can tell, he murdered several of his own children. Oh, all to, right. In a, a failed attempt to prevent a succession crisis, which still happened. Right. Okay. Um, it's a choice. So basically, when, when he passed away, his land would be split up between his remaining children. The province of Judea would only last under this style of administration for about 60 years, when uh, the last prefect of the region was another famous biblical figure, Pontius Pilate. This is just like all the Bible friends reunion, isn't right? it? It's insane. <laughs> Pontius Pilate just comes up out of nowhere. <laughs> so there would be one more king of the region under this sort of style of administration. That would be Herod Agrippa I, either the son or grandson of, of Herod the Great. Mm. And then the whole region would pass back under sovereign Roman rule. The first Jewish revolt started in about 66 CE. So we have now crossed over into the common era yes. after all that. Uh, provincial governor Gessius Floris had not openly endorsed, but like tacitly endorsed by not opposing a number of atrocities against the Jewish population in Palestine. Now, this revolt would last for about the next four years, uh, and the future emperor Vespasian would be sent out by Nero to put it down. Uh, now, Nero died in 68, so Vespasian actually became the emperor while putting down this revolt. Okay. He was fighting it from 66 to 70, and he became emperor in 68. Okay. That's a um, lot. The, the official end of the revolt would come in... 70 CE with the destruction of the second temple of Jerusalem. Mm. Um, the last resistance would like that. That was sort of the official end of the revolt, but there were still pockets of resistance going on. The last resistance would end in 73 CE with the conclusion of the siege of Masada. And this isn't necessarily that important. I just think it's really cool. 
uh, the siege of Masada lasted for like most of a year, if not several years. I think history is a little sketchy on exactly how long it lasted. But Masada was basically uh, a castle on a mountain surrounded by cliffs on all sides. So there were less than a thousand zealots holding off more than 15,000 Roman soldiers trying to siege the place. It only got broken into when the Romans built a 600 meter ramp of stone and dirt to get up the cliff and over the walls. Wow. That's, that's really something. When they finally breached the walls, they found that every last resident of Masada, save for, I think, two women who had hidden the sewers, had committed suicide rather than be taken by the Romans. That's a crazy story. Right? I, I couldn't leave that out. No, I'm so glad I know that. Wow, weird. Okay. Yeah, so I think the the official count says something like 960 zealots had committed suicide rather than be taken by the Romans. Jeez, do we know what happened to the women in the sewers? They're... As far as I know, we only know they existed because they're where sort of the story from the inside came from. Right, I don't imagine okay. they were treated that nicely no, by the Romans. No, that's sort of what I figured too, but I don't know. Maybe the Romans were so impressed. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> they were like, I don't know. You get a free pass on this one. So in 132 CE, the Roman emperor Hadrian announced plans to build a Roman colony atop the ruins of Jerusalem. Mm. And Hadrian was all about, at least from what I know about him, he was all about pushing the boundaries of the Roman Empire because he's also the guy who built, like, Hadrian's Wall up in northern England. Oh, yeah. So, like, he he reaches way to the northeast of Rome, or to the northwest of Rome, and he reaches way to the southeast of Rome. This is the guy the opera we saw. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There was uh, a Rufus Wainwright-written opera about Hadrian that premiered a few years back that we uh, got to see a production of. That was quite cool. Uh, But basically, he announced his plans to build a Roman colony atop the ruins of Jerusalem, as well as banning circumcision within the entire empire. Like, this was just such a clear fuck you to the Jews in the region. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build on top of your holy site, and I'm going to ban one of your most sacred rituals. Uh, this would lead to then the second Jewish revolt. Um, Figures. Also known in some places, as far as I can see, as the revolt of Bar Kokhba. And Bar Kokhba was the leader of this revolt. Uh, it would ultimately lead, this revolt would ultimately lead to the near extinction of the Jewish people in Judea, with most of the remaining Jewish people surviving, uh, being in Galilee and Samaria. Okay. The Revolt would ultimately end with the death of Bar Kokhba in 135, so it lasted about three years. Hadrian would ultimately scatter statues of Roman deities throughout the entire city of Jerusalem and ban Jews from entering the city. It's unclear how strictly this ban was enforced. I did see some people claiming that while Jewish people were nominally banned from entering the city, that they still could. Um, however, the ban would be in place at least on paper until at least the fourth century. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I don't know that we have an exact date that it was taken away, but we have evidence that it was still there in the fourth century. Uh, Constantine the first would 
convert the empire to Christianity in the 4th century. Mm. So probably the ban changed somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, He dedicated ridiculous amounts of Roman wealth to building massive, elaborate churches on holy sites. So those are some of those churches are places that are still around, like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is on the believed spot that Jesus was crucified. Right. And these are things that like Constantine and his mother, actually, I think her, I think she was St. Teresa is, is what she has been named since. But Constantine's mother was very involved in this whole building of temples and all that. Okay. Um, so for the first roughly five centuries of CE, Palestine would be the, the site of many revolts and debates on just the nature of Christianity. Jesus has just died. We haven't really worked out what parts of this we all agree on <laughs> <Yeah>. yet. <laughs> like, what it's going to take thing? us a few centuries. <laughs> okay. By 476, so like the late 5th century, the Western Roman Empire had fallen. However, we still have the Eastern Roman Empire or the Byzantine Empire mm-hmm. for some time. Uh, this region would be invaded, uh, or Palestine, sorry, would be invaded in the early 7th century during Persia's attacks on Byzantium. Okay. Um, also in the early 7th century was the first rise of Islam. Mohammed is believed to have lived from 570 to 632 CE. So that would put, like, right at the turn of the 6th century to the 7th century is when Mohammed lived. Okay. After his death, the first caliph of Islam was a guy named Ab... I'm going to butcher all of these pronunciations, just sorry in advance to any Muslim person listening to this. I I don't know how to say these things. You're trying. That's what counts. Uh, The first caliph was Abu Bakr, who was a close companion and advisor of Muhammad's, as well as the father of one of Muhammad's wives. Mm. Uh, during Abu Bakr's rule, uh, which would only be two years, he oh. accomplished an insane amount in two years. <laughs> Those real productive types. <laughs> he, uh, he united the entire Arabian Peninsula oh. and the Muslim conquests of Syria and Iraq would begin. Okay. So by 640, all of Palestine would be ceded to Muslim rule by the Byzantines. Um, but like no part of it was still held by the Byzantine Empire in 640. Okay. The Umayyad dynasty would gain power in the 660s. So in the same way that the Greeks and Romans had worked to sort of Hellenize the area, the Umayyads now are recorded as trying to Arabize the area. So there's been this history of people coming in and just sort of forcing their own cultures on the region of Palestine. Mm. Uh, The Umayyads would ultimately build several of the most important Muslim structures in the world uh, within Palestine. So we're we're talking about the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. Uh, and the, the Dome of the Rock is on the Temple Mount where the Romans had destroyed oh. the second temple. Oh, this is like everybody building their stuff on top of other people's. Well, th- what gets glossed over a lot yeah. is that like Islam is in that same sort of lineage of religions as as Judaism and Christianity like it's it's just a different interpretation it's a different prophet mm-hmm. it's ostensibly the same god yes is is an important thing to remember here is like 
what is a sacred spot for the Jewish faith is also a sacred spot for the Muslim faith. Yeah. It's, it's really <laughs> tough. It's really fucking tough. When we studied this in school a little bit, we talked about um, Jerusalem as this like city that is th- It's everybody's times. holy spot, yeah. Yeah, I think the... It was all in French, what they call it. This like... The, the like three times holy site yeah. kind of, which w- was cool, but also it's all in the same place, which makes it very complicated. But it makes sense if it all kind of comes out of the same place yeah Yeah. so the the al-aqsa mosque also in jerusalem i believe uh would end up being rebuilt on a larger scale in the early 8th century but the dome of the rock on the temple mount is the oldest standing muslim monument on earth it's still there it's still there hasn't been torn down hasn't been rebuilt built in 691 that's incredible so the abbasid dynasty would take power over the majority of the muslim world in about 750 While the Umayyads had been based out of Mecca, the Abbasids were based out of Baghdad. So Palestine wouldn't readily submit to Abbasid rule at any point. Um, They would essentially rulership of the area would pass through several hands over the next couple centuries until we get to the European Crusades. (laughs) During this period, there were countless battles fought on Palestinian soil. So these battles, along with heavy legal restrictions on non-Muslim subjects being imposed by the Abbasids and and all the other places that have held Palestine through this time, they, they do a lot of damage to a lot of the historical buildings in the area. Uh, the Crusaders would ultimately capture Jerusalem in 1099 during the First Crusade. So the first kingdom of Jerusalem would then be declared on Christmas Day, 1100 CE. This kingdom would last about a century and was owned by the French. Uh, Frankish kings just sort of sat there and and tried to expand their crusader state boundaries, just being big pieces of shit, basically. (laughs) I, I don't know what else to say about the Crusades. I think that's, you've about summed it up. Um, it was around 1187 that Jerusalem would be won back from the Crusaders by Sultan Salah al-Din Yusuf ibn Ayyub. Now, he is more commonly known as the Western world. You have probably heard of him as Saladin or Saladin, I think it's oh, yeah. sometimes pronounced. Yeah. Um, but that's who takes it, Jerusalem back from the Crusaders in 1187. So by this point, by the time he's taken back the capital, the kingdom of Jerusalem's influence over the region is basically shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, most of the region returns to Muslim rule. There was a, technically a treaty signed to return the region to Christian rule in 1229, but... Everyone seems to have signed it and then gone, yeah, that's not going to (laughs) happen. By the 1240s, it seems like the entire region was back under uh, Muslim rule of the Ayyubid Sultan. So this is now the Sultan descended from Saladin. Right. Um, The Ayyubid line would be overthrown by 1263 when the Mamluks took control of the region. (laughs) I told you we were going to get to a lot of things. 
<laughs> it's true. It's not like I wasn't warned. So the Mamluks were... The Mamluks are a really interesting thing, actually. They had been used by a lot of the different Muslim dynasties throughout this period. They were essentially Turkish slave soldiers. Okay. Uh, and under the Ayyubid regime, they were given more power than ever before and used that to just seize the whole regime mm. for themselves. Okay. Uh, so the Mamluks would rule in some form or another for the next... 200 years or so until the rise of the Ottoman Empire in the 1400s. So Palestine falls pretty squarely within the the Ottoman Empire. Mm. Like all of their neighbors are are also in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, So that location really influenced them from a lot of outside influence for a few centuries. Their fortunes rose and fell with those of the Ottoman Empire. Mm -hmm. They were firmly a province for several centuries, which was honestly probably pretty fucking nice for the people yeah. living there. Like, <laughs> go, go get a break for five minutes. In 1799, our good, good buddy Napoleon had conquested out as far as Egypt. After Napoleon withdrew from Egypt, the the country would be left under the control of Muhammad Ali. Not that one. <laughs> I have that written in my notes. <laughs> I was going to be like, wait. <laughs> it seems he gets referred to sometimes as Mehmet Ali. Okay. But I do think his real name was Muhammad Ali. I think maybe we call him Mehmet these days to avoid confusion with right. the boxer. That makes us Whose name also sense. was not Muhammad Ali originally. Right. Oh, it's so confusing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Ali would be the first person who saw a real path to Egypt becoming an independent nation. And he would, like, take over the whole region of Egypt following Napoleon's withdrawal and then would expand their borders. Uh, Would essentially take over Palestine around 1831. So in 1840, British, Austrian, and Russian troops would be dispatched to return Palestine to Ottoman rule. This is when the Ottoman Empire is still on everyone's sort of good side. (laughs) (laughs) With the region, again, being controlled by the Ottomans, they would start to see a lot of foreign consulates and embassies moving in. In Jerusalem, but also in the major port cities. Mm -hmm. This was starting to become a major region for trade. Uh, Throughout the late 1800s, settlements and colonies began to be created throughout the region, and common among these were Jewish agricultural settlements. In 1896, a man named Theodore Herzl would write a book called Der Judenstaat, or The Jewish State. Uh, Essentially, Der Judenstaat was a plea for Jewish peoples throughout Europe to come together and just create a new state out of whole cloth. He suggested two places that this would be a good place to do, and that was Palestine and Argentina, weirdly enough. Why Argentina? I don't know. Okay. It makes it like almost weirdly ironic that that's where all the Nazis fled to after yeah. World War II. It's true. That Okay, that would have been really something. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't find anyone really talking about Argentina okay. in the context of this it book. It seems thought. Palestine is the one that everyone grabbed onto okay. and ran with. I mean, it makes sense. It's the logical 
Yeah. Well, yeah. So Herzl's text would become basically the founding text of modern Zionism, and it would predict several aspects of the eventual creation of Israel. But before even World War One, there's evidence of like the the rich and elite within Palestinian society opposing Zionism and opposing further Jewish immigration, trying to keep an Arabic hold on the area. Right. Uh, so World War One has some really common themes across the board for a lot of these countries we've researched, particularly like we haven't really researched any of the superpowers from World War One yet. So it's all true. the countries we've researched are countries that just had England and France and Germany and all them come in and just make huge sweeping decisions about their future with no input from the locals. Yep. Believe it or not, that happened in Palestine, too. Wow, who'd have thunk? <laughs> so, the British commissioner of Egypt uh, during World War I was a guy named Sir Henry McMahon, and he had made promises of independence to the Arabic people of Palestine in exchange for support during the First World War. This became known as the Hussein-McMahon correspondence, as McMahon was speaking with Hussein ibn Ali, the uh, at the time the emir of Mecca. This, however, would then be overridden by what was known as the Sykes-Picot Agreement, a secret treaty that was signed between the UK, France, and Russia in 1916. So the Sykes-Picot Agreement presupposed the destruction of the Ottoman Empire at the end of the war. Okay. And basically divided up all of the Ottoman Empire's remaining lands between the three countries that were having this secret meeting. The countries addressed in this treaty would not learn of its existence until it was being published and enforced. Oh my god. <laughs> Don't do that to people. Oh, it's very like King Lear though a little bit. Oh yeah. So in 19 that's not even the end of contradictory things here. In 1917 a guy named Arthur Balfour would use his official government position in the UK to endorse the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. This, like, because Balfour said it, the UK government has now officially endorsed the creation of Israel after having promised independence to Palestine. Oh. This would become known as the Balfour Declaration. Mm. Now, these three completely conflicting agreements that happened within two or three years of each other would form the basis for the next century of political upheaval in the region. And that's where we're going to stop for this week. We have been, we have gone back to 9,000 BCE this week. Next week, I can't emphasize enough that we are only going to be talking about 100 years Shit yep. is going to get so complicated. So complicated. <laughs> I can see the fear in your eyes. It's okay. We'll do it together. I can't even find maps that agree on like what years a lot of this shit happened. Yeah. So 
tune back in next week for me desperately trying not to step on everyone's toes and trying to untangle some of the most tangled parts of modern history. It's going to be fun. It's going to be super fun. We'll actually get to the anthem in that episode. We'll make some food. I haven't quite decided what I'm going to make yet, but we'll figure it out. I mean, it'll be tasty, whatever it is. Let's hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tune back in next week for part two on Palestine, where we will get really into the complicated stuff. we get something very wrong? Did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning? That's very likely, and we'd love to hear the correct version. Please tweet us at IAOUC podcast or send us an email at in all of us command podcast at gmail.com. We record these episodes a bit in advance, so you may not hear a correction right away, but we are not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected.